hallelujah let's lift up that name for just a little bit come on i think it's appropriate on a wednesday night to call on the name of jesus his name is power his name carries healing his name is life and life more abundantly lord we worship you jesus lord we honor you today god thank you lord for giving us a name that's above every name thank you jesus 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 so thankful to be in the house of god on a wednesday night thankful to be with some of the greatest people on the planet always enjoy gathering together with the people of god amen and this is uh one of my i always brag on you guys um if you've ever talked to me one of the common bragging points i always say is i love singing and leading worship on wednesday nights because this group it don't matter if i hit a wrong note it don't matter if i sing a wrong word or a wrong lyric this group right here you can sense the authentic worship in the room and the anointing and the power of god falls every wednesday night it's not a dry service for me. It's a, it's, a depth, it's a service of depth because we have the people who are hungry for God's word in this house. We have people who love the word of God on Wednesday nights. We have people who are spiritually mature enough to know I need him every single day. It's the most spiritually mature group, the most committed group we have here. And you might say, Austin, are you scared to speak to such a group? And I would say no. Because those that are spiritually mature understand that they need the Word of God. And this group right here, you guys are hungry for the Word. And it doesn't matter if it's a young preacher like myself or if it's pastor. I know you guys are going to feast on the Word of God tonight. And so excited for that. I give honor to my pastor and the pastoral team. And I give honor to you guys tonight. The text tonight is John. chapter number six. I'm just going to read um, verse 35. It says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I'm going to stop there. If you'll bow your heads with me, God, I pray, Lord, right now, God, that you would speak to us through your word today. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, I pray, God, that you would give us a hunger for your word, God, a hunger for you this week, Lord God, that we would draw closer to you, Lord, that we would let this word go with us by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. To give you a little context for the passage today, we see quite a few things at work um, in this passage. It's quite uh, uh, the flow of the story, I think, preaches in and of itself. As we see that, that, God, that Jesus uh, feeds 5,000 people with, with just a few loaves of bread and some fish just the the lunch of a, a young boy and and God feeds Jesus feeds 5,000 and and then he 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 just decides that he's just going to go walk on water you know just the normal day for Jesus just going to go walk on water across the sea to Capernaum and and he gets to Capernaum and then 
the people there are like, how did you get here? <laughs> right? What happened? How did you even get here? And, 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 and then that's where Jesus, that's where our text kind of starts. And uh, it, it was a banner day for Jesus and his dream, does, uh, dream team, the dozen disciples. The day before Jesus, again, had, had just served the, the thousands, right? And, and on this day, citizens of the city wanted a word with Jesus. What would he do? What would he say? Perhaps a few people brought jars of water in case he worked the water into wine wonder again. They were interested in maybe getting a little bit more of his miracle. But, but when they went to where he was, he was no longer there. And that's strange. You know, they thought, well, let's see. Maybe he just walked on water, they said jokingly, right? Little did they know. But after a quick search, they found Jesus. They asked him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus didn't even hesitate or look at, this, at the, the sundial. He answered a question they were not asking but should have been. He answered why they came all this way just to see him. Oftentimes, Jesus does just that. We ask him a question and usually that question is just completely missing the point. But God has a way of turning the, the text a little bit and just saying, Oh, uh, but where's your heart right now? And so Jesus, seeing their intentions of their heart, seeing them, he calls them out and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and you were filled. And some of the church growth experts in the crowd must have cringed at that moment. Jesus, that's not how we win friends and influence people. You got to be nice. But Jesus cut to the quick and said, let them know that, that he was not running. He was running more than just a free food truck. He admonished them, labor not for the meat which doth perish. He says, look, I'm not here just to feed your physical flesh. I'm not here just to make your flesh happy. I've got things for you that are much greater than the things of this world. I've got something that's so much more important. I can't waste my time on trivial things. I've got life eternal to give you and so Jesus cuts to the chase Jesus lifted their eyes and their appetites above just thinking about dinner and reminded them that life is preparation for eternity and they, they, when, when he had said these things, they, they begin to rebuttal. And it looks as if they're kind of arguing with Jesus. If you get in the text, it looks like they're kind of like, okay, well, show me a sign. You see, in, in the times when I was with Moses, you know, when, when the Israelites were, were led by Moses, God showed them a sign. He fed them. He fed them. They're talking about food. Man, they must have been hungry. They're talking about food again, about how, how God provided for them and, and that he, he provided manna from heaven, right? And so they're talking about this. They're arguing with God and they're saying, look, Jesus, show me a sign. Show us the sign. Come on, feed us again. Give us some more of your, your, your bread and your loaves and your fishes, right? But Jesus again worked to lift their eyes above the earth to the heaven and told them the bread of God. It's not a what, 
but it is a who. The bread of God is not a what, it is a who. See, for the bread of God is he which cometh down, the Bible says, from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And their eyes lit up. If God has it, we want it. Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And so they're not seeing it perfectly yet. He's saying, look, there's bread that I've got to give you. They say, all right, Lord, I want that bread. But Jesus' next statement left them speechless. It rocked them on their their holy hills for a moment. They, they knew Jesus could somehow feed thousands with scraps, but that didn't mean that he was divine or did it. And so Jesus answered that question with his reply. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus was saying this was not an easy thing for them to accept. They were looking for an earthly answer. The Israelites were looking for an earthly answer to their problems. They were looking for a Messiah that would come down and and that would fight their battles in a physical sense. But Jesus said, look, you may be bound physically to Rome, but even worse than that, you're bound spiritually to sin. And there's sin in your life. There's something that's binding you and has a hold on you and I've come not to deliver you from your carnal problems I've come to deliver you from your spiritual problems I've come to offer a spiritual bread the bread of life uh, that gives you life and life more abundantly see how would you respond if the gentleman who came to fix your leaky roof winked and said I'm the son of God they said, he's not the son of God. His name is Joshua. He wears overall and he has a Panthers bumper sticker on his work van. Right? Jesus was a comforter, a carpenter from the, the sleepy blue collar town of Nazareth. Yet he was so much more. And because they had their, their carnal lens on, because they didn't put on the lens of the Bible and the word of God, because they weren't tuned in spiritually to what was going on they missed the messiah they missed the one that would all that that had all power in heaven and earth and they missed the one that was there to deliver them and he wanted to offer them that bread but it was a different kind of bread These Jews were not in the same place as their forefathers. They were not slaving away under Egypt's blazing sun. Yet Jesus was telling them in a very certain terms that he was leading a new exodus in their day. Their ancestors ate bread from heaven and drank water from a flint rock. But this Jesus was both the bread of life and the waters springing up into eternal life. And this exodus would not free them from a national superpower, but from a foe that had enslaved the whole humanity since long before Moses. This exodus would set them free from the relentless, ruthless reign of sin. Kingdoms have risen and fallen, come and gone, but sin has remained the constant, depraved despot behind them all. But as Jesus spoke, hope began to swell because all that was about to change. We shake our heads and wonder how the Jews in first century could miss Jesus. 
We, we look at, we read the Bible, and to us as Christians, it seems so evident that Jesus was the Messiah. We read with a spiritual lens, a revelation of the Word of God, but, but if we are, we are not responsible for their response, Jesus is obviously, right? We think he's obviously the, the Messiah. And while we're not responsible for their response, their story has already been written. And sadly, they got it wrong. But our story is still being written. And Jesus is still the bread of life. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can miss it in life. We may understand who he is in knowledge, but sometimes we neglect to let that knowledge inform the way that we live our lives. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll miss it. We'll miss it because we're too busy wearing our carnal lens and we need to take that carnal lens off and say, I need him and put that spiritual lens back on. One wise woman shared a story with someone she was discipling. She said, it feels like two bulldogs are in me fighting all the time. One of them wants what I want and the other of them wants what God wants. And they're constantly at war fighting one another. And her friend asks her, I'm sure you guys have heard this, which one wins? The wise woman wisely replies, the one I feed the most. See, every day we will choose to feed either one or the other. Either, we want, either what we want, our flesh, or what God wants, our souls. I choose to feed my soul. I choose to grow in my relationship with Jesus. I choose to feast on the word of God and feast on his forever settled, never changing word. I choose to soak my soul in the presence of God every time I'm blessed to be together with the people of God I choose I choose to feed my spiritual man and not the carnal you see because in life and in the kingdom of God you're either growing spiritually or you are decaying spiritually we know one of the universal laws of science tells us that things that sit still decay See what happens to a car or a boat that gets parked, right? The worst thing that you can do to a car or a boat is you just let it sit there, right? Because inevitably the tires get dry rot, the oil sits heavy, and the battery dies, right? Things decay. It's the same in the spiritual realm. You may think that neglecting your prayer and Bible today is no big deal, but inevitably the flesh begins to take over and your car engine light turns on for just a little bit and your wife's like, well, you need to pray. <laughs> How many of y'all ever gotten that? <laughs> it's hard to say no to that. <laughs> You're right. You see... We have to be active, actively feeding the spiritual man. 
We have to make sure and guard our heart and make sure that we have an appetite for the things of God and not the things of this world. If you need a litmus test, maybe just go through your day and ask yourself, what decisions did I make today? What decisions did I make that fed the spiritual man today? What decisions did I make that neglected the carnal man that starved out the flesh today? What did I do to, to, to surrender my will and my purpose to a God who loves me and cares for me? You see, going all in gives you more control in life. My wife and I went on a cruise to the Bahamas for our one-year anniversary. After gorging ourselves on bohemian food and enjoying the beach, we decided we were ready for something a bit more dangerous. After all, it's not vacation unless you have a moment where you almost meet your maker. And so we decided to go on a jet ski tour where we would be told the number one rule for riding a jet ski. When I heard it, it cr I cringed because everything in me did not want to obey this one rule. The one rule they told me. You got to hit the gas all the way. You can't do, you can't go jet ski and be all halfway in, halfway out because the water propels, but it also stirs. And so if the propeller isn't on very much, your turning ain't going to work very well, right? So they, they say it's, it's counterintuitive. You feel scared in that moment. You're like, I, I got to turn. I'm scared. I'm scared. But instead of, instead of letting off the gas, that's the moment you got to start putting on the gas. And the same is true spiritually. When you get a, when you start to become afraid, when the fear begins to arise because situations and you're trying to navigate life and things get a little tight, that's not the time to let off the brake a little bit. That's the time I'm going to say, I'm going to go all in. It's time to put the gas, to pedal to the metal, because that's when God can do something in my life. It gives me more control to navigate life, right? It's easier to live for God when you're praying, you're fasting, you're studying, you're loving, you're submitting to God's will and purpose in your life. You can read the word, but are you submitting to the word? Paul said it like this. We need to set our affections on things that are above and not on the things of this earth, right? See how you change your appetite. Understand this. It, how can you change your appetite? Right? So there's a few things that you can do to help change your appetite. Understanding, one, understanding this earth is not your home. I was talking with Pastor. I was kind of just kind of shooting the breeze with him. But something was kind of on my mind. I was thinking about it. About how a lot of young people don't always rally behind uh, songs about heaven. And, and sometimes, you know, I think you don't hear a lot of young people writing songs about heaven. And I remember, I was just like, man, like, there's so many songs I grew up on about heaven, right? And I, I was just kind of observing it. I wasn't necessarily saying one thing or another about it. I didn't have the fully formulated thought um, but I was just kind of talking it out with him. And, and he said something that really kind of struck me. He said, he said, the reason why we don't always rally behind the message of heaven is because our flesh isn't going there. Right? 
this flesh ain't going to heaven. Right? We're getting a new, a new body. Right? Our spirit is going to be joined with Christ. And so, so our flesh doesn't like this, the message of heaven. Right? Our flesh wants to live here on earth. Our flesh wants to take the things that we can accumulate here on earth. Our flesh wants to have the life here. But, but ultimately, our goal in life, this is not our home. The, the old timers used to say, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. Come on. We need to get our eyes and our heart on things that are above, not on the things of this earth. See, some people wouldn't have such a hard time living for God if they would just live every day thinking uh, that Jesus could come back today. Hear me now. I'm not talking about the fear of missing the rapture. I'm not talking about being afraid to go to hell. I'm talking about the hope of making it to, to my eternal destination in heaven. I'm talking about a bit of hope of seeing my reward, seeing my ultimate desire. It's not for this earth, but it's for things that are above. See, when you think of the hope of heaven, suddenly the trials of this earth seem so insignificant, right? It's like the old timers wrote so many songs about the heaven. They were trying to build a good, they weren't trying to build a good earthly life. They were laying up treasures in heaven. They were laying up their treasures in heaven. Why? Because it's going to be worth it all. Every tear, every trial, every temptation will pair in comparison to the glory of that blessed day. If we got the hope of heaven in our mindset every morning when we wake up, say God this is just another day I'm just a passing through I'm just a pilgrim in this life and someday I'm gonna see you in glory and so the trials of this world seem so small compared to the glory that I will receive in heaven lay up your treasures in heaven not on the things of this world how do you combat that earthly fleshly desire it's, it's, by, it's by saying, God, I will submit. I, I'm looking on things that are above. And so we see that, that in our text that after this, getting back to the text, that, that many were offended at the words of Jesus. Many did not have the spiritual mindset or the spiritual appetite for his bread and for his words. What Jesus was saying wasn't easy to hear for those earthly minded people. See, you could hear the din of side conversations all throughout the synagogue. Some of the crowd tried to be discreet, but it was more than they could handle. And faced with the option of believing and changing their perspective. Leaving or changing their perspective, they decided it was too much. But you see, Jesus was not finished. Even when others walked away, he did not backpedal or soften the blows of his truth. He kept coming. And he even saved the hardest saying for last. He says, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood, that's it. He's gone too far. Was Jesus promoting cannibalism, right? What are you talking about, Jesus? But by this time, the Jews were quarreling and quibbling with each other over Jesus' hard-to-hear words. But Jesus' words were not hard to hear if they only truly understood with the spiritual lens what he was saying. Wearsby writes, All Jesus said was just as you take food and drink within your body and it becomes part of you, so must you receive me within your innermost being so that I can give you life. Jesus was comparing natural food to spiritual food. Our bodies need to eat. So do our souls. This comparison is akin, right, to our, our, our natural life. If, we are, if we're diligent in life, we're going to come up against situations where our body, right, is, and our flesh is going to war against that, that, that desire in us to do what's right. And we have to learn to feed the spiritual man. We have to not just learn because we know the truth. We have to obey the truth. God, today I don't feel like it, but I'm going to serve you. God, today I don't feel like it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey you. I'm going to witness to my friend today. God, today I don't feel like it, but I'm not going to promote my kingdom today. I'm going to promote your kingdom today. God, I don't feel like it. But I'm not going to think on the temporal things of this earth. But I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven. God, right now, it's been a wrong day. It's been a rough night. I've had a rough week. I've had a rough beer. I've had a rough month, right? But I'm still going to trust you. It leads us back to where we're supposed to be. In alignment with his word and his will. And what we see here is an example though. Because not everyone left. Not everybody left when things got hard. What does it mean to be apostolic? Like the apostles, right? That's our term, like apostolic. Let me tell you one way you can be apostolic. When others turn away from the faith... Not me. I'm not leaving him because things look a little tough. I'm not leaving him because my friends left him. I'm not leaving him because it's unpopular. I'm, I'm going to be instant, in season and out of season. When it's popular and when it's not popular, I'm going to preach the truth. I'm going to live the truth. I'm going to do everything I can to be the, the, the people of the word, the apostolic people who do not neglect their Savior, right? I'm not leaving when things get hard. Not leaving when people leave the faith. I'm not going to question my faith because somebody else is questioning theirs. I'm going to stand true on the word of God and understand that the only hope I have in this life, the only hope I have in this life is in him. It's in Jesus. It's in the work that he did on the cross. And without him, I am nothing. And so others left, but the disciples, they hung out. And Jesus, in that moment, again, doesn't back off. He starts questioning. He says, are you going to leave me too? 
And sometimes you go through stuff in life, and that's God's, God's trying to create a moment where he can ask, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to leave me because you're offended that you, you had to go through that? Are you going to leave me because, this, because something bad happened, because things didn't happen the way that you wanted them to? Or are you going to dig in deeper and say, God, though you slay me, yet will I praise you, yet will I trust you? And no matter what, I'm going to dig in and the word of God and keep my appetite on you. And so Jesus says that, and of course, the apostles respond with, where else could we go, right? If you've ever tasted truth, if you've ever tasted the goodness of God, what else, where are you going to find that? Where else can I go to find such a great salvation? I will never turn away from him, right? May we have the same faith-filled resolve as Peter in John 6. Although the word of God will offend our sin, we are not going anywhere. Although Jesus has called us to the same selfless life of following him as he's called his followers in John 6, we will not turn away and walk away. Nothing he will say to us or anyone else will say about us will cause us to turn away and walk away from Jesus. See, one eternity-changing day, Jesus turned, us, turned to us and called us to follow. And this day and all my days, we will follow and never turn away from him. I believe we have an image for this. The new uh, N.T. Wright tells the story of a historian who was setting out to earn his Ph.D., the moment he finished his research, wrote his 200-plus page paper and defended his dissertation would be a signal moment in his life. But before he could celebrate, he still had a fair amount of work to do. And part of that work was research on the painting that was so prominent during the historical period he was studying. He grabbed his notepad and a trusty pen and headed for the galleries. While art aficionados and curious tourists oohed and awed at the masterpiece, the historian was scribbling down cold, hard facts about each painting. He needed to know who painted it, when and where the artist lived, who the artist's friends were, and who the friend's friends were and who influenced the artist's painting style. By the time he was finished with his research, he would know all the facts about each individual painting and the painter who painted it. He finished his PhD and rightfully earned the title of doctor. But he never stood back to take the time to appreciate the masterful paintings themselves. All the facts etched into the plaques beneath the works were only there to shed a little light on the paintings, not to steal the light all together. After Jesus multiplied the sack lunch and fed the city, he hoped the people would see him, not just a free meal. After all, he had so much more to offer them than just a fillet of fish. He was only a matter of months away from laying down his life for them and purchasing their salvation. And at the price of his own shed blood, 
Let us not allow the miracles and wonders to cause us to look only on the miracles and wonders of God. Let us not just seek the hand of God, but let us have a right mentality and actually appreciate and live our lives with the revelation and the knowledge that he saved us. That he paved the way. What a beautiful picture of a God who didn't have to. He was not obligated to, and yet his love drove him to the place. His love for you and his, his knowledge of what you would face. He said, I'm going to come down myself. I'm going to come down as a man. I'm, I'm going to do as a man what, what, what no one could, would do. I'm going to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And he did it not as deity, but as humanity. And a whole nation of people missed. They missed it. A whole group of people completely missed the beautiful picture of what God was doing in their life. Because they were too busy living with the carnal lens on. Let it not be so that we would take off our carnal lens today and that we would commit to saying, God, let your word inform every aspect of my life. God, give me a hunger and a desire for your word. God, if I ever get complacent, if I ever get to the place where I feel like I'm okay, I've got this, I don't need it anymore. If I ever get to the place where I come to church and I'm not hungry for God anymore, if I ever get to the place where I just grow complacent in my relationship with you, God, help me to stop and realize that there's something more important than just what's going on in my earthly life and the fleshly life. That there's a spiritual world that I've got to attend to. There's a heart in me that's, that if I let it run rampant, it's going to ruin and wreck my life. But if I'll live spiritually minded, God has peace and blessings that he wants to offer. And I'm so thankful for the blessings of God. I'm so thankful that I can have peace in my relationships. That I can have joy in the midst of sorrow. That I can have a blessed, and my, I can be blessed at my job. I can be blessed. My family can be blessed by the word of God. Because we, we put on that spiritual lens. I believe there's a video, right? Okay, if you play that video. In John chapter 6, Jesus made a statement that shocked his disciples. When he said, I am the bread of life. Now he was doing that to identify himself as the one that came down from heaven to give life to people. He was making a messianic claim. Some folks have misunderstood this statement to think that somehow Jesus was giving validity to a doctrine now held called transubstantiation. Which basically means that at communion, when we take that unleavened bread or the wafer or whatever is used in that regard and put it in our mouths, that it literally chemically, physically changes into the flesh of Jesus Christ. They misunderstand his statement when he said, you have to eat my flesh. He wasn't advocating or teaching some kind of cannibalistic doctrine. When he said, I am the bread of life, he was not giving validity to that doctrine. Instead, he was merely saying to the disciples, I am the one. The bread of God is he that cometh down from heaven. The bread of God is a who, not a what. 
And when the bread of God came down, it was wrapped up, encapsulated in this one named Jesus Christ. And he identified himself as such. I think also it might be worth noting that by saying he was the bread of life, he was identifying just how central, how core he was to their existence. The audience that heard him that day, their diet was very bread-centered. You can read numerous places in the, in the scriptures where a meal is described and sometimes bread is the only item that's even listed. In the sweat of your face, you'll eat bread. He made a feast and gave them bread. There are numerous places like that in scripture because for the disciples that heard him that day, bread was not a basket of goodies on the side of the table that comes free with the meal. It was right in the center of the table. It was the core item that they were gonna eat. So when Jesus identified himself, he said, I am the central item of your life. For spiritual nourishment, I am the central thing you'll ever dine on. I am he that came down from heaven. I'm the Messiah. I'm the bread of life. Not that we would eat his flesh in a literal sense in any way, but that we would receive him into our lives, into our spirits as our savior, and he would be the spiritual nourishment we need. The bread of life. What a wonderful thing. Amen, amen. He is the bread of life. He is what is going to sustain you. I pray that this week, as you go throughout your week, that you let God sustain you, that you take the time to talk to him about your problems, that you take the time to consume the bread of life, the word of God in your life. And I believe that God, if you'll take this with you, that God can, can do incredible things, even in the smallest moments. A lot of times the greatest miracles happen in the mundane moments. It's those moments of revelation. Sometimes the deepest points in my walk with God was not at the pinnacle of the mountain, but it was just the daily grind with God. It was just kind of that today I woke up and I was just spiritually minded. I was just like, you know what? Today I'm not going to be carnally minded. I made up my mind. I went and prayed, read my Bible, and then I came up with decisions in life, and I said, you know what, God, I'm not going to choose my flesh today. I'm going to choose you. And a lot of times, that's the deepest you can go. It's just every day saying, God, today, I'm going to choose you. It's a daily thing. That's how you grow deeper. It's not, it's not in the pinnacle moment, but oftentimes it's that daily bread. Let him sustain you this week. If you bow your heads. God, right now, I pray that you would give a, that this word, God, that you've challenged us with tonight. God, I pray that you would help us to remember it tomorrow and the next day, Lord God. Lord, that you would bring to remembrance and bring into us a desire and a hunger for your word, God. Help us to set our affections on things that are above, God, and not to get distracted, God, with the fleshly things of this earth, God. Help us to put our hope in you and our trust in you this week. And God, we are going to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Be blessed. I love each and every one of you. God bless you in Jesus' name.